0: Leftists pledge they'll continue to propose ways to reform policing until it's absolutely impossible to go outside without getting your head blown off. Leftists say the police are hindering the activities of useful community organizations like the Crips and the Bloods, who give young men something to occupy their time, like drive-by shootings and other drive-by shootings. To come up with some fresh ideas for police reform, the left has assembled a brain trust, including Congresswoman Alexandria Occasional Cortex, and some lesser intellects like the eraser on the end of a pencil, an old sneaker, and a fly that's been banging against the same window for the last 45 minutes because it can't figure out there's no way through it. This collection of the left's top thinkers has issued a list of reforms, including one. From now on, when citizens dial 911, they'll get a phone tree, They can press 1 to submit to the mob, press 2 to be put on hold for 20 minutes, press 3 and die, or press 911 and go back to the beginning. Two, when police are called to the scene of a shooting, a social worker will be dispatched instead and will hand the victim an informational pamphlet entitled, So, It Seems You've Been Murdered. The pamphlet will provide helpful hints on how to position your body within the chalk lines, how to call out pitiably for your mother while your life's blood spills onto the pavement, and how to avoid being crushed by reporters who are stepping over your body to cover some less important story they might be able to parlay into a race riot. Three. If criminals should invade your home and you manage to defend yourself with a personal firearm, the police will surround your house and use a megaphone to order you to come out with your hands up, whereupon you'll be riddled with bullets. The committee says they will continue to come up with ideas for reform until the country is entirely laid waste. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I'm the hunky-dunky. Life is tickety boo. Birds are winging, also singing hunky dunky doo. Ship shape, dipsy topsy, the world is zippity zing. It's a wonderful day. Hooray, hooray! It makes me want to sing. Oh, hooray! Hooray! Oh, All right, we are back among you, bringing you tomorrow's news today. And boy, are we ever. We brought you, we're bringing you news. The news that's going on now is stuff we've been reporting on for two and three years. So if you want to keep up with us, go over to the Andrew Claven YouTube channel and subscribe. It's where you can get all my openings unedited, (laughs) not to suggest anyone else is editing, but you get them unedited on the YouTube channel. And if you leave a comment and it's halfway intelligent in order to raise the level of conversation on the show, we will read it on air. Here is one from Jeremy Ashford. Yesterday, we played a clip of a feminist telling us that uh, patriarchy was like an octopus and she wanted to cut off the tentacles. And while I was listening to this, I, I could feel in my head somebody, you know, kind of saying to myself, there's a joke in here, but I'm not coming up with it and I have to go back on the air. But Jeremy came up with the joke. He said, feminists want to cut off tentacles. I think something was lost in translation. I just couldn't come up with it. So, Jeremy, you win the, uh, the imaginary leftist tears tumbler for coming up with the joke I couldn't come up with. Uh, So, listen, if if Donald Trump turns out to be a one-term president, some of his accomplishments are going to go away very fast. His low taxes will be history. All those regulations he cut will be put right back in place. Even the exemption that kept the little sisters of the poor from having to provide birth control, that'll be restored. But there is at least one Trump accomplishment that will not go away anytime soon. Donald Trump was elected. Because of the failure of our institutions. You don't make a political outsider president unless the insiders have utterly screwed the pooch. Under Barack Obama, Americans were murdering themselves in despair as his elitist globalist agenda gutted our economy. Republicans stood by and watched it happen, making big gains in fundraising and political power while doing absolutely nothing to stop the decay. And this came after George W. Bush led the nation into wars we didn't know how to win or pay for, while the left simultaneously raised money by siding with Islamist thugs. When the public rebuked the insiders by sending Trump to the White House, the inside men and women went insane. And in their insanity, they revealed themselves. We now see that the Democrat Party is a corrupt, anti-constitutional organization that condones violent crime in the name of power. We now see that most Republicans are empty suits who will not stand up for anything but a slightly slower descent into oligarchy. And, of course, our news media's corrupt corporate trash. We are living Thomas Jefferson's nightmare, a nation with a government but no newspapers. Whether Trump wins or loses, and I think things look tough now, but I have no way despaired. But whether he wins or loses, I think we understand now this is not really a fight between right and left. Reasonable people on both sides can get along and move forward together. This is a battle. Between an entrenched elite and a free people, and they divide left and right in order to keep us separate so we can't come after them together. That revolution, that revelation, is the Trump presidency's essential gift to America. And we have to remember the truth of that as the future unfolds and as the fight continues. One of the fights you should be fighting is to keep your identity from getting stolen. Because let me tell you, I know people who've had their identity getting stolen, and it will upend your life. It is really a mess. But LifeLock can help. These are turbulent times. Fraudsters love it. Cybersecurity researchers are warning that cyber criminals are sending emails that include Black Lives Matter in the subject line in an effort to install malware on victims' computers. If any curious party clicks on the file attached to the email, it ends up installing a dangerous Microsoft Windows malware known as TrickBot. Every day we put our information at risk on the internet. You could miss certain identity threats by just monitoring your credit. Good thing, there's LifeLock. LifeLock detects a wide range of identity threats, like your social security number for sale on the dark web. I've gotten warnings from them. It really is helpful to know what's going on. If they detect your information has potentially been compromised, they'll send you an alert. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but LifeLock can see threats that you might miss. Join now and save up to 25% off your first year. Go to lifelock.com slash clavin. That's lifelock.com slash claven for 25% off. If if your identity is stolen, one of their specialists will arrive at your house and explain to you how you spell Clavin. I just made that up, but it's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no No, Clavin. We have the mailbag at the end of the show, and I will address all your letters about uh, the nature of Jesus. While I was talking about Don Lemon, I said something incomplete, uh, something that many of you will still disagree with but maybe not as completely as you did disagree with me in your letters. And there were so many of them, I couldn't answer them personally. But uh, I will address that question. Uh, You know, the other thing I want to just say for, you know, this is kind of on topic, actually. I was told uh, yesterday that a number of people actually unsubscribed from the show because they were so angry I allowed the expert poll watcher, Henry Olson, uh, to come on and talk about his gloomy prediction of what how Trump is doing. He thinks Trump is really doing badly, according to his readings of the polls. And I have to admit, This actually bothered me. Most most things don't bother me at all anymore, but I was bothered not by losing the audience. You know, you're going to lose audiences. That's a hazard of speaking your mind. Uh, But I was bothered that people who listen to this program, because I consider the listeners to this program to be the creme de la creme, the best of the best, uh, the A number one and the top of the heap, right? I consider you guys to be the smartest people in America because why? Because you're listening to this program, right? But suddenly, when you do that, you're acting just like the leftists, unable to listen to any anything but an opinion that confirms your own opinion. Right. And whatever else Olson is, he's not a partisan hack. He's a very smart guy and very honest guy. He calls him as he sees him. So. You know, I don't see why you can't listen to them and make up your own mind. If you want to be small minded, if you want to make it so you can only listen to your own thoughts read back to you, read The New York Times. Become a leftist and read The New York Times. That's the way it works. See, this is the thing about the conservatives that from the very beginning, my very awakening to the fact that I was a conservative has bothered me. We don't set the narrative. We adopt the narrative. Every single time, right? If they say, if the left says feminism, we say, well, we're better on the right, we're better feminists than you are. Instead of saying, well, wait a minute, maybe the entire philosophy is wrong. No, we cancel the guy who says the entire philosophy is wrong. If they say cancel culture, we say, well, we'll cancel you back. Instead of saying, no, 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 we want to hear from everybody. And so now when they say they're only going to listen to one side, we say, well, we're only going to listen to one side on our side. No, I think we have to define rightism as something Other than being reactionary, I think we have to be able to listen uh, to every opinion, uh, listen to agenda setting opinions and reject agendas that are set uh, in the wrong way and set the agenda ourselves. I think we have to do all this stuff and speak from a position of moral strength. The one thing conservatives on the right, one thing people on the right do not seem to grasp is that we are right. And they're wrong. And we have to be able to say that with confidence and also hear dissent with confidence because we're confident, not because we're afraid. So yesterday, you know, I I really have to talk about this because it's just it's such a good example of what's going on in the press. Yesterday, Trump came out to the Rose Garden and he started to go uh, go into his speech. And the joke is, you know, there used to be this thing they would call the Rose Garden strategy. And the Rose Garden strategy is where the president comes out. And he does things that only the president can do. So he makes his opponent look weak and irrelevant, right? But Trump redefined the Rose Garden strategy by actually coming out and giving a campaign speech for about 50 minutes uh, or over an hour. By the time he was finished, uh, he went after Biden and he went after Biden's, uh, you know, policies, his new policies that he's announced that are I mean, he's he is talking about something like seven trillion dollars in leftist spending. And you can say, well, the right has been spending uh, like a drunken sailor for years and that's absolutely true we've been completely irresponsible we've lost all authority on the question of fiscal responsibility that's true but the left spending is doubly bad because it not only uh, spends on things that shouldn't be spent on it also just sucks all the uh, all, all the um, power and money out of the room from the entrepreneurs who want to build something new so let's hear let's hear something about what Trump said uh, about Biden. Uh, Well, let's take the one uh, uh, from 11, just a, a kind of montage of what he was saying. Biden was here for 47 years, eight years, the last eight years, not long ago as vice president. He said, one in five miles of our highways are still in poor condition. Well, we're doing a good job on highways, but why didn't he fix them? Tens of thousands of bridges are in disrepair and on the verge of collapse. Well. It's probably not a right number, but we have bridges that should have been fixed. Why didn't he fix them? High speed broadband. We want high speed. Well, why didn't he get it three years ago? is not a long time. So so the press went insane because he's using the Rose Garden for a campaign tactic. Now, now, listen, you know. Obama did all kinds of stuff like this. I mean, he had the guy, you know, the Miranda, the guy who did Hamilton uh, at the White House and all this. You know, they all presidents do this to some degree. Uh, Al Gore, of course, was using uh, the White House for campaigning. But but Brett Baer made this point on Fox News that if uh, if Democrats did this, if a Democrat president like Obama did this from the Rose Garden, we on the right would get upset about it. And I think that's absolutely true. We on the right would get upset about it. But here's the difference. We wouldn't have a press that would do this. We would not have people pretending to be reporters who did what Jim, look at me, I'm Jim Acosta did. Here's Jim's absolutely objective account of what happened. We are down to Kool-Aid drinkers and next of kin uh, here at the Trump White House. There are no more adults who will level with the president and tell him he can't uh, deliver a rally uh, like rant in the Rose Garden as he did earlier this evening. The reason why that uh, that that event that took place in the Rose Garden was so much like a rally is is because of the way he just went uh, into the lies, the myths and the, and the truth uh, stretching that he does uh, out on the campaign trail. So while it's true that we on the right would have attacked Obama and said essentially what uh, Jim look at me, I'm Jim Acosta said, we wouldn't have Jim look at me, I'm Jim Acosta on CNN saying those things because he's a partisan hack. It is one thing for Democrats and Republicans to go after one another. That's what they're supposed to do. That's Democratic politics. You're supposed to fight it out and each one's supposed to go go, uh, to fight your corner. But Jim, look at me, I'm Jim Acosta and his crappy station, uh, CNN, should be refereeing that fight, not throwing punches in that fight. And that's what Jim, look at me, I'm Jim Acosta, doesn't understand about what his job is. I mean, maybe he does understand it and he doesn't care because he's just a liar. But this is the thing that this is the important thing. And, and you know, when I was talking uh, to Senator Ted Cruz yesterday and he said, we're very bad at narrative. This is part of the problem. We're not just bad at narrative. We're bad at constructing things that will put forward our narrative and fighting back and instead we've got this horrible CNN which is just a well let's take a look at the coverage let me just show you the coverage a little montage of the coverage from CNN of Trump's uh, press conference just play that montage how badly uh, is he failing right now in dealing with this spiraling crisis He's doing terribly. I mean, the president gets an F in terms of uh, the handling of this global pandemic you see in some of these states uh, across the country. The cases are going up. He was rambling all over the place, uh, uh, not expressing coherent thoughts for the most part. And then secondly, he avoided the issue that is uh, uh, convulsing the country right now, uh, which is the coronavirus. This has now been in the United States uh, for half of a year. And the president uh, has not uh, uh, shown any indication in the last few days that uh, he's got a plan for ameliorating this brush fire. So this is, you know, to me, this is really interesting. I mean, now that we see this and I was I've harped on this a lot, but it's worth talking about uh, now that we see that, for instance, um, you know, the hysteria, the utter hysteria about uh, Christina uh, blaze Christine Blazy Ford when she attacked Uh, Brett Kavanaugh, the utter hysteria about that suddenly vanished when Tara Reid said that Joe Biden had digitally raped her. Uh, Suddenly that hysteria, the believe women stuff, it all vanished. It all went away. Now we see this in front of us. And this is something that Trump has accomplished, whether he's accomplished it on purpose or whether it's just the reaction to him uh, is is a fair, open question. But the fact that he was elevated to the presidency, the fact that this this total outsider was elevated to the presidency, it, just, it shows you that we had the sense, or at least the people uh, who voted for him, had the sense that the institutions had completely failed. The institutions have totally failed. But really, in some ways, the only institution that's working is leftism, because leftism is a form of decay, and decay is always working. Leftism is something that happens to societies when they as they get older you know it's interesting i was just reading a mystery story from 1948 uh, and it had all of the same uh, from britain it was a british mystery story from 1948 had all of the same trends that were going that are going on here back then in 1948 and shortly thereafter britain lost its empire britain lost its economy for 30 years didn't have a good economy after the war not because the Germans had created so much damage, but because they went socialist, because they went left and it really destroyed their economy until Margaret Thatcher uh, really hobbled the unions a little bit and started to bring it back. So these are, you know, the left, the left always works because the left is downhill. It's always, we can always go downhill. You can always go downhill going uphill. You have to have a, a plan. You have to have a purpose. You have to fight the gravity and keep walking. So one of the things is while, uh, while Trump was doing this, Biden gave a speech as well. Uh, he gave it to an empty room. Uh, he didn't take any questions from the press. Uh, there were a couple of people in the room, like five or six people, you know, spread out to keep from getting each other sick. But he did have, you know, he did have a really, he did put forward one really interesting plan. Uh, you have to listen to this carefully. This is cut number one. To get our people to work and our kids to school safely, to get our kids to market swiftly, to power a clean energy revolution in this country, we need to modernize America's infrastructure. <laughs> so I don't know. We gotta get our kids to market. I'm not sure whether Biden is a cannibal now. Like what what does it mean? Are we taking our kids to market like pigs or are we selling them into slavery? Is this like our version of slavery reparation? We're now gonna sell our children into slavery to make up for selling other people's children. I, I have no idea what the guy is talking about. He's reading off a prompter. The guy is reading off a prompter, but he did introduce a $2 trillion plan to address climate change and it's everything you would think. But here's the thing about, here's the thing about Joe Biden. And this is just uh, openly being discussed. This was on the, on Twitter, And it was taken down from Twitter because once it started to to be shared around, this is Angela Davis. She is a longtime communist. She was uh, accused of uh, uh, felony murder, I believe. I think she got off. But she is a real, real radical. She is on Putin's uh, propaganda channel, RT, Russian television. And here is what she says about Joe Biden. This is the first Angela Davis clip
1: see this election as being about choosing a candidate who will be who will be able to lead us in the right direction. It will be about choosing a candidate who can be most effectively pressured into allowing more space for the evolving anti-racist movement. Biden is very problematic in many ways. He is not only in terms of his past and the role that he played in uh, uh, pushing toward mass incarceration, uh, but he has indicated that he is opposed to dis, uh, disbanding the police. And this is definitely what we need. We need to reconceptualize the very notion of public safety.
0: So what she's saying is Biden isn't radical enough, but don't worry. He's just a puppet who will be pushed aside and pressured from the left. And that's the thing. When you look at Trump at some level, you're not just looking at Donald Trump. You're looking at the failure of our institutions. When you look at Biden, you're looking at the one institution that's still working, namely decay, namely leftism. All right, let's take a a quick break to talk about candid because, listen, this is this. You may not be as smiling as much as you're usually smiling right now, but eventually things are going to get better. We're going to we're, things are, are getting better. They actually are. This is the, this is the funny thing. You know, p- the press is trying to make you feel as scared as possible. Things are actually improving. You're going to be smiling. You want your smile to look great. You don't want to come out of, you know, lockdown and say, hooray. And people go, oh, my God, oh, please. That's why you want candid, candid, candid gives you clear aligners they're comfortable they're removable they're totally invisible unlike wire braces so you can transform your smile without anyone even noticing plus your treatment is prescribed and monitored remotely by a licensed orthodontist who's an expert in tooth movement candid Only works with orthodontists, never general dentists like other companies. And with some of those other companies, you may never hear from a doctor as you go through treatment. That's ridiculous. With Candid, your treatment includes remote monitoring by the same orthodontist who creates your plan. So you never have to wonder how you're doing. You'll always know that the average Candid treatment is just six months and you'll start seeing results way before then. If you're ready to take the first step toward getting your dream smile, you can't wait to show off. Get started today from the comfort of your own home with Candid's risk-free starter kit and seventy-five dollars off. Go to candidco.com/claven and use code Claven. That's candidco.com/claven code Claven for your risk-free starter kit and seventy-five dollars off. candidco.com/claven code Claven. You have a big smile because you know how to spell Claven. It's C L A V E N. So, so here's the big moment. And this is the part I really want to cover from Trump's speech yesterday, because it's not just the fact of Trump's speech, the horrific fact that he campaigned from the Rose Garden, which every president does. But he just the fact that, yes, we would have complained if Obama did it, but the press would not have complained because the press are partisan hacks. That's the important thing. Trump reveals his opponents. It's amazing. he Trump forces his opponents to reveal themselves because he is so different, so outside the box, such a, an emanation of the failure of our institutions that the institutions kill themselves. They destroy themselves like an addict trying to break a mirror because he can't, he can't look at himself. He can't look at his own reflection. But here's the thing that Trump said that really made them crazy because it was the truth. When Trump speaks the truth, nothing drives them more crazy. The truth is a scandal. Only lies are the news. So this is cut three talking about, he was asked by Catherine Herridge in an interview, he was asked about the fact that uh, police kill um, black people. Let's talk about George Floyd. You said George Floyd's death was a terrible thing. Terrible. Why are African-Americans still dying at the hands of law enforcement in this country? And so are white people. So are white people. What a terrible question to ask. So are white people more white people, by the way, more white people. So this, this drove them crazy. More white people are killed by police than black people. That's true. 204 have lost their lives this year in police shootings compared to 105 African-Americans. Okay. So he's, he's right. It's just the truth. It's just bingo. What he said was true. So of course the combined weight of the media uh, lie complex, the media Democrat complex has to come out and disprove the truth, has to show you why the truth is not the truth. So I wanna t- want to take a couple of clips because they're important. Here is one from Bakar Sellers on CNN. This is kind of typical.
1: The response was a lie, that's what it was. Uh, what we do know and what statistics show us is that African-Americans are three and a half more times likely to die uh, from use of force than than white people in this country. Uh, They're more likely to incur use of force than white people in this country. Uh, And we have a serious problem. Um, I I can honestly tell you that if George Floyd was uh, was white, then he would probably still be alive today. Um, I I have not seen an image of a knee on the back of a neck of a white person in this country for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And so um, I'm not going to say that police brutality does not happen to white people. I would never dare say that. I would just say that there has become uh, a high incidence and occurrence of this towards people of color that results in death and fatality.
0: So to call what the president said a lie, (laughs) let's see if I can see if I can put this just right. When somebody tells the truth and you call it a lie, I, I don't even know. I guess that that's a lie, right? You're lying about the lie because it was the truth. However, however, there's nothing wrong with questioning statistics. See, if he hadn't said that, if he hadn't said there's a lie, he would he could have said, well, what Trump said was true. However, I think if you uh, dig into the statistics, you'll find something else. And it is true that, of course, per capita, per capita, there are more black deaths at the hands of police than there are white deaths at the hands of police per capita. However, if you're talking about that, then you have to talk about the whole picture. 13 percent of Americans are black, according to the uh, latest estimates from the Census Bureau. Fifty two percent of homicides are committed by blacks, right? From between 1980 and 2008. Now, I think it's. they say it's closer to 40%, but still only 45% of the offenders were white. So you're dealing, the police are dealing with a different Uh, group of people. And obviously, (laughs) you know, when we talk about these things, this is not about skin color. This is the problem. It's the left that makes it about skin color. We have to make that important distinction. The black people who commit murder are not killing people because, oh my goodness, my hands are black. You know, I'm going to go out and kill people. That's not what's happening. What you have got is you have got a system that was created by Democrats that has slowed to a stance is actually reversed. I shouldn't say that. The Great Society has actually reversed the black move into the middle class. And when people are poor, there's more crime. When, you know, poverty may not be the cause of crime, but what poverty does is it limits the kinds of crime that you can commit. OK, because crime is what causes crime A sin. You know, the black human heart, uh, the twisted human heart is what causes crime. People in Wall Street commit crimes, but they don't commit crimes with guns as often because they have ways of committing safer crimes. So that's why you get more violent crime, I think, from poverty during poverty. But this is the problem. When you start to put things in uh, in terms of race on one side, you can't stop on the other side. I went in and I looked I Googled this subject. And of course, the first thing that comes up is all the left wing opinions and the left says, well, you know, when when people, when these right wing races, these white supremacists start talking about crime, it's just straight up racism because they start to say, well, black people commit more crime, but they don't take poverty into account. Hey, (laughs) I'm perfectly willing to take anything into account, but that's not what you're doing. What you're doing is essentially assuming that the police are racist when they kill more black people per capita instead of saying, well, per capita, There's more crime. The police are called out to this more crime. You know, there's a system that they use. It's called begging the question. Not everybody knows what begging the question means, but begging the what begging the question means is it means skipping over the proof of your assertion. It means leaving your assertion uh, in place. So, for instance, when you hear newsmen say, "Oh, the protesters are out there protesting racial justice, uh, and you know, and maybe they'll spread uh, the Chinese flu, but they're protesting for racial justice." Well, that's begging the question, right? We don't know what they're if they're protesting for. Racial justice. They say they're protesting to destroy the American family and to install Marxism. That's what a lot of them say, the, the founders of that BLM movement. That's what they say. So are they protesting for racial justice or are they protesting for a fantasy? We don't know. When they say systemic racism, there's systemic racism. The minute you use that phrase, you should have to prove that. You should have to prove it. And you can't prove it. You can't prove it just by saying, well, things are not going well for black people in America, which, by the way, is only a half truth. It's going well for some people. It's going well for the people who do the things that you have to do. It's not going well for people who are caught caught up in the dysfunction of poverty. So the minute you use the term systemic racism, you have to stop and think, you know, Thomas Sowell was talking about this on. Mark Levin show. Thomas Sowell, you know, every time I see him, I just, you know, he's, I think he's like 80 now. Uh, and, um, he's just one of the most brilliant guys in America. And he's so undercovered because of course he doesn't toe the leftist line. And he was talking to Mark Levin and here's some of his comments, really good comments. It really has no meaning
1: that can be specified and tested in the way that one tests hypotheses.
0: Uh, It does remind me of the propaganda uh, tactics of Joseph Goebbels during the age of the Nazis, uh, in which he's supposed to have said that people will believe any lie if it's repeated long enough and loud enough. And that's what we're getting. I I don't think it's one of many words that I don't think even the people who use it have any clear idea what they're saying.
1: Uh, their, Their purpose is served by having other people cave in.
0: I, you know, I should have mentioned that he's talking about the term systemic racism there, which I've said too. You know, is a uh, which this may make me as smart for fifteen seconds as Thomas Sowell. <laughs> I said too. Systemic racism is a term without meaning. It doesn't really mean. Anything. And I'm I, hopefully, if uh, depending on the news cycle, I'm going to talk about this more tomorrow, which I just feel is just so destructive to black American lives. But this this is the thing we have to fight. We have to fight the non-conversations. We can talk to the left. We can debate the left. We can argue with the left. But, but there is a system of elite. Uh, the, the elites want to prevent that. They want to prevent us from talking to one another. They want to keep a system in place where they do nothing, but they reap all the, the awards rewards. The right is elected. Republicans are elected again and again and achieve nothing. Democrats achieve decay and nobody says to them, hey, there's homelessness all over uh, your cities. There's crime all over your cities. The the press just doesn't cover it. It's a system in place to keep the elites doing what they're doing, collecting the money they're collecting while we become serfs. They really have a vision of a globalist uh, techno aristocracy while the rest of us become real life serfs. That's what we're fighting. That's what Trump has revealed. We can't fight it by being at each other's throats. We have to fight it by listening and talking and letting all voices, all voices be heard. All right, let us talk for a moment about Ben's new book because you really want to read this. this is Ben's uh, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps which is, it's (laughs) it's not like prophetic, right? The book goes on sale Tuesday, July 21st at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. And Ben will be doing a virtual live signing event on the day of release with your purchase of a signed copy. You can write in a question which may be read and answered as he signs your book live on the air. You can pre-order your signed copy and write in your question at dailywire.com slash Ben. How to Destroy America in three easy steps talks about the two different worldviews that are struggling right now, the one that will bring us together, and the one that is clearly tearing us apart. So go to dailywire.com slash Ben to order your signed copy and join Ben's live signing on Tuesday, July 21st. You want to be, obviously, a subscriber uh, to The Daily Wire because you want to be in the mailbag, you want to uh, get to ask questions. But if you can't afford the all-access you know, uh, membership, the high-tier one, because you're just... That incredibly cheap that you want to feed your children or pay your rent or something like this. If if you know you want to get the reader's pass. When you can't get the real story, you have to go outside the narrative and get the facts. And that's why you want to get a reader's pass from dailywire.com. You'll get access to exclusive op-eds from us, your podcast hosts, as well as guest writers, and in-depth analysis from our Daily Wire reporters on top of our regular breaking news. Hey, they even advertised my article today. I didn't even know that those medical experts now believe Joe Biden's election will completely cure coronavirus. That was mine, except I said Chinese flu. The membership tier is already a bargain at $3 a month, but if you join today, you get your first month for 99 cents. So go to dailywire.com and subscribe. The mailbag is coming up. All your problems will be solved. Mailbag. Oh, these are pretty cool bananas. <gasps> <laughs> Don't ask me. I have no. Idea. I'm out of. I've lost control of my own show. So I was talking about uh, Don Lemon, and Don Lemon said Jesus Christ was not perfect in this world, and he was just babbling. He was dithering about. I have no idea what he was talking about. Uh, neither. Uh, obviously, neither did he. Um, But I said, I I said that I actually agreed that Jesus uh, was imperfect. And I knew while I was talking, I knew that what I should have said was I believe that Jesus Christ was a sinless man. He was sinless. Uh, But but that's not the same thing as imperfect. And so a lot of people wrote to me, how can you say he's not perfect when here it says right in the Bible, he was sinless, sinless, sinless. And absolutely true. Now, the word sinless, the word sin in Greek, in the original language that we have the New Testament in, means missing the target, means to miss the target. And so to uh, be sinless is to never miss the target. And that is what we believe about Jesus, that he never missed the target. He fulfilled uh, his mission and who he was meant to be and who he was made to be. And that is when, he, in the phrase that he says, be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect, the Greek word there is not perfect the way we use perfect and the way I was using perfect. It is It means to fulfill who you are. And that's why your father, you know, the God in heaven always fulfills who he is and you should fulfill who you are, who God made you to be. And that all of that stuff we agree on where I disagree with, with some theologians, but not all. I mean, so a lot of theologians are on my side in this is I believe that Jesus was a, a fully a human being and in being fully a human being had to develop as a human being. So for instance, I don't believe as a baby, Jesus had all the knowledge that he had as an adult. I believe that Jesus came into a knowledge of who he was and most especially of who we are and what that meant for him. So that's, that is my belief that a lot of people disagree with, but it is my reading of uh, the gospels and it's, uh, I'm not alone in this. And there are many signs of Jesus being human which means to be not perfect. God in heaven is perfect. I offhandedly quoted him saying, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Many people think this is coded language for Jesus saying that he is God. That's not what I believe. I believe that Jesus makes distinctions between God the Son and God the Father, as for instance, when he says, no one knows When the end of days will come, not even the Son knows, only God the Father knows. And so there's something that Jesus doesn't know. So he's imperfect, right, like all human beings. Uh, He's tempted in the desert. And the the epistle to the Hebrews says uh, Jesus is tempted in every way that we are. He is tempted in every way that we are except without sin. So he doesn't fall into the temptation. I don't believe God the Father is is even in the business of sin. Jesus is subject to death. God the Father is not subject to death. So there are things about uh, Jesus that are imperfect, and that's what I was talking about. And I was especially thinking about in the Garden of Gethsemane when he falls in terror at his uh, prospective death. He sweats blood, and he says, my heart is troubled. uh, And he calls out to God to get him off the hook, but says, you know, I will fulfill my I will fulfill my purpose, so he will be perfect in that sense. I will fulfill my purpose, but he begs to be let off the hook. That's human. That's his full humanity, and I really I'm, I have a very strong feeling about this. That when we are super pious and we deny him his humanity, we're denying his purpose in coming among us. So that's what I was talking about. I was not talking about sin. Obviously, uh, I, I agreed with you there. But some people read some people read things differently and think he's always in control. He's always set, you know, kind of just acting out things. He's not really terrified. I don't believe that at all. I believe he was fully a human being, and as such, uh, is not. Perfect in that sense of the word. Uh, just being subject to death is imperfect, and imperfect perfection as far as I'm concerned, especially if it's me. <laughs> in my being subject to death, I believe that's a complete imperfection. All right, let us take a look at some questions. Let's begin with, uh, we we said we'll take some video questions. Uh, it's, a lot of the video questions, I gotta tell you, are too long. You gotta keep them under a minute, or we can't use them because we don't always have time to edit them down. But here was one that was under a minute from Erin, uh, a singing video, I guess her, her twins. Hey. I just love that. I love the guns going off. Anyway. All right. Let's get to Ricardo. Uh, Dear Mr. Clavin, I just graduated with a bachelor's degree in English. I know I'm an idiot. Yeah. I got one of those too. We used to call it a pre short order chef. (laughs) Um, but I'm genuinely interested in journalism. I'd like to improve my writing while I'm submitting op-eds to the local paper Uh, and school. The professors were pretty split about how to become a better writer. One side said it came from reading a lot of good stuff. And the other side said it came from constantly drafting and redrafting your own work. Which side do you tend to lean toward? And what course of action would you recommend for me as I start this perilous journey into a godforsaken industry? Well, uh, here, here's one thing. Both those sides are right. You have to read constantly. All good writers read constantly. And if you're not reading constantly, you're probably not a writer. You probably don't want to be a writer as much as you think you do. You probably want to be a writer, but you don't want to write. So writers read. They read all the time and they learn from everything they read. They watch and say, how did he do that right? How did he do it Bad?" drafting and redrafting. Also, if you're not rewriting your work, you're not writing. Rewriting is writing. And especially with op-eds, okay? An op-ed, the thing that's great about an op-ed it really has to be between six and 700 words. And in order to get an idea fully fleshed out in between six and 700 words, you have to work really hard to to do this. You have to go over it maybe a hundred times. Really. And I'm not, that's not an exaggeration. You have to go over it like a hundred times to get it to 600, 700 words, make it shorter, make it shorter, make it shorter, make it shorter. That is the way to do it. Okay. And when I read a lot of blogs and this happens to me too, because you get rushed. And if you get rushed, the old joke is if I had had more time, I'd have made it shorter. If you get rushed, it's, very hard to bring things down to the right number of words. Okay, so as you're writing op-eds, make sure you bring them down into that 600 700 word uh, frame. Don't go to 800. Don't do it. I mean, the uh, the Wall Street Journal will occasionally run an 800 op-ed page, but not from you. So get it down to 600, 650, 700. That's the first thing. The second thing is go to the, go get a list of the newspapers in the country. Get a list of the editors' names of the op-ed page. It's hard to find, but you can track it down. You can do it. Uh, get you know get find out which are the best papers. Which, which have the highest circulation, which ones are likely to publish an op-ed. We now know the New York Times, for instance, won't publish any op-ed that doesn't agree with the leftist uh, orthodoxy, so that you can just write them out. But find out the editor's name, write directly to the editor, get his email address, and send your email. Do not send it to the op-ed, you know, opinion at USA Today. So I'll try and find the editor's name and get his email and do it. If you can't do that, then you have to settle for opinion pages. But they will, you know, you can get read. Uh, so, it, and remember, you've got to do it right at the time you can't do it a day later when the event happens you got to write the op-ed and get it out there that day if you can if the the next day at the very very latest and it's got to be short it's got to be incredibly tight and it's got to go to the guy who's going to make the decision Uh, that's the best way to do it that's the way i broke into it because i had been writing other things but i i wanted to target uh editors and that's basically how i broke into that Um, uh, let's let's take a look at this one from Grayson, because this is kind of in keeping with the theme that I was talking about. This is a video one.
1: Hello, Honorable Lord Clavin, Supreme Leader of the Multiverse. Thank you for taking my question. My name's Grayson, and I go to a public university in West Texas, so I like to think that the population of the school is a little bit more conservative. Professors are just all out there wacky. However, when talking to people and we get down to talking about ideas, politics, maybe social, cultural issues, I find that their ideas and mine, being more conservative, don't necessarily differ all that much. Most people are pro-freedom, most people are pro-free speech, most people are pro, I guess, free enterprise, though they don't always necessarily understand that, yet I find that on the messaging of issues we really lack. So I see a lot of my friends and people around me getting roped into these social justice things of you know, the BLM movement and climate catastrophe and being extremely pro-choice and pro-abortion. So my main question is, is it a problem with the messaging or is it a problem with the messaging in and of itself that they're getting roped in by these ideologies that are very appealing to young people who maybe don't know as much? Or do conservatives need to do something to kind of make conservatism cool again?
0: Uh, really good question. We had to cut it back because it was, went on too long. Uh, so please, again, we don't like to cut them. We'd rather you you cut it to them to a minute. Um, really good question. Is it, is it our message or is it the messaging? Well, in some ways, it's both. And in, in some ways, it's us because what we are doing is we're asking people to go uphill we are asking people to go against decay, against decline. It is easy to relax into socialism. It is easy to relax into decay. It's easy to relax into giving the government the power it wants. Even their their stupid regulations that they come up with when they ask you to license being a hairdresser or to get a license for being an interior designer from the state, which really should be protested and shut down and they should be sued. Nobody wants to take the time to do it. You just want to get your license and become an interior designer, whatever you need. You should not need a license for about nine, Ninety percent of the things. Obviously, if you're a psychotherapist, yes, you should be licensed if you have that kind of uh, responsibility. But somebody who braids hair shouldn't have to pay the state for the for braiding hair. If you do it badly, you won't have any customers. And so those are the kinds of things we don't fight. And so that's we 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 have to fight in order to stay free. But the thing you said that was key, uh, Grayson, as you said, you talked about freedom, and everybody is for freedom, especially young people. And the thing that we don't make people understand is how freedom is dependent on other things. Freedom is dependent on virtue. Freedom is dependent on keeping, being on on property, on being able to keep your property, on being able to keep your money. That's why I always talk about socialism. A lot of people talk about the fact that socialism doesn't work. They keep saying, oh, socialism fails everywhere it's tried. That's true, but it's not the point. The point is socialism is wrong. It's morally wrong because it takes away your freedom. Your money is your time. If the government owns your time, your money is your time. Your time is your life. If the government owns your, takes your money, it's taking your time. It's taking your life. It owns your life. And those are the kinds of things that we don't put forward. And the other thing, and I've, I've talked about this a lot. I made all the Ayn Rand supporters angry at me, and they should be angry at me. I think she was a psychopath. I think she was a moral idiot and an aesthetic idiot. But I do think she understood finances and she understood uh, socialism. She did understand that. But I think that if we are pushing a value-free um, capitalism. And if we are pushing a truth-free God, the kind of God is not dead God, where everything is smiley, happy, you know, lovely, and and all the people who disagree with us are small-minded and evil. If we're pushing that kind of thing, uh, we are fools and we've got nothing to sell. They've got fake virtue. They've got save the poor. They've got the Christian virtues, you know, save the poor. How? By stealing everybody else's money and giving it to the poor. Now we know that doesn't work, but once you're on that argument, you've already lost the argument. We have got to show that virtue is, uh, is inherent in freedom. You don't, have virtue if you are not choosing virtue, if you're not choosing to help the poor, it's not charity. And so you've got to start to talk in positive terms. And the left, the right never does this. We never do it. We always talk in nev- negative terms. We're always on the defensive. We're always being critical uh, of, of the left. And that just makes the left win. When you're critical of the left, the left is winning. If you're not saying, no, this is what freedom is. Freedom is your right to be who you want to be. Freedom is your right to th- Think what you want to think. Freedom is your right to speak the words that come out of your mouth. And if you can't do that, if you can't do any of those things, who are you? What is your life? What is the meaning of your life? If a person stuck a gun in your head and made you do the right thing every minute of the day, would you take that life? Would you want that life? Wouldn't you rather have the mistakes? Wouldn't you rather make the do the uh, bad things that you occasionally do in order to be free? Freedom is the first virtue because it's the one from which all other virtues, on which all other virtues depend. Because if you can't choose freely, you aren't virtuous. If you can't worship God freely, you're not worshiping God. If you can't love freely, you're not loving. If you can't give charity freely, you're not giving charity. And so if we're not selling this idea of freedom and the individual and who you are and your development and your right to be who you are and the fact that the government has no right to tell you who to be and what to think and who to like, we're not selling anything. And so I I always, when I listen to people, uh, you know, tell me about, you know, this, this problem in the country and that problem, I always say, yes, how can we solve it without giving up our freedom? I'm a freedom guy first. And and that and sh- that's shocking to a lot of people when you say, you know what, I believe you sh- you k- should be able to be a bigot. I don't think you should be a bigot. I will rebuke you if you're a bigot. I will turn my back on you if you're a bigot, but you should be allowed to be a bigot and to act out your bigotry without hurting anybody, without you know, attacking anyone, but you should be able to live as you want to live because if you can't live the way you want to live, then I can't live the way I want to live. And so we don't sell these things the way we have to. Somehow I just played out my time. I think it was talking so much about Jesus, but we'll we'll, we'll have another uh, mailbag next week. Sorry, I didn't get to more questions. But we will be back in tomorrow. And remember, we've got a Friday show this week because we weren't on on Monday. So we will have a Friday show. The Clavenless weekend is not impending as dangerously as you thought. You've got a day reprieve. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. We'll be back again tomorrow. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five star review and also tell your friends to subscribe, too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Walsh Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director is Pavel Wadowski. Edited by Danny D'Amico. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and Makeup, or Head and Makeup, by Nika Geneva. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. A major liberal writer resigns in disgust from The New York Times. A black celebrity calls white people animals. And the federal government starts killing criminals again. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.